Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast, post-game edition. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jerry Mack on the show. Uh, welcome to your Thursday, or in Eric's case, it's still Wednesday. Um, <laughs> but we're breaking things down here. Uh, Oregon loses 47-32 to in the 2021 Alamo Bowl uh, to the Oklahoma Sooners here in San Antonio. Um, it is a game in which, guys, I think none of us were surprised by the outcome, Oregon losing this one. But I'm really, I'm happy to see, and the players even commented on this post game. They fought. They did. They, they there was not one moment of this team giving up, which we saw against Utah twice in three weeks. I think that's a good place to start. I mean, obviously, the first half was a disaster. Um, the second yes. quarter, the second quarter was a disaster. They actually played pretty solid in the first quarter. You know. Yeah. Yep. Um, the second quarter was terrible, and they put themselves in a place where it's like almost impossible to actually win the football game. Um, but you're right. I thought the third quarter, parts of the fourth quarter, I mean, the offense was great the entire second half, four consecutive touchdown drives. The defense was still banged up. It's kind of hard to draw any conclusions other than the fact that Oklahoma's really good on offense, and Oregon's second and third team defensive players aren't quite as good. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, and that's kind of what it is. And, and, and a hot so- take. Yeah, and so like you come away. I, I agree. I think I mean to try to put a little positive spin on it, um, you know. And I and we have to talk about some of the negatives, but because they allowed forty-seven points and it was kind of over by half. But at the same time, like I agree, Matt. Like I did come away feeling. I even had to rewrite some of my column, which will be up on DuckTerritory.com by the time this is up, um, just to kind of acknowledge the way they played in that second half because they did fight and the offense did show up. And, I mean. Again, as I wrote, and my story focused on the young receiving core, apparently Oregon's offense can successfully complete deep passes. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a lesson you hate to learn in the second half of the final football season, <laughs> but it's one that like, exists, and you kind of come away, I think, for me at least, trying to turn the page to 22, and of course we're going to focus on the game, but like you see kind of the skeletons of an offense here, with which again, a ton of stuff you have to pull around it. You know who the receivers coach are. Uh, what does Ken Dillingham want to do offensively? Some of the personnel stuff. But you see the skeleton with these receivers, with this offensive line, these tight ends, maybe these running backs for this offense to be really fun and pretty dynamic next year. And that was kind of a thing going into the second half. No one was really saying because they scored three points and, and really couldn't do much with it. Yeah, I mean the first half kind of just felt like another Utah game. It just like they couldn't get anything going, and. Yeah, in the second half, I mean, you saw Oregon continue to take shots down the field, which had not happened all year long, never. And so to see Anthony Brown connect deep to Chris Hudson, Troy Franklin, and Dante Thornton on deep touchdowns was just great to see. I had a lot of fun actually watching their offense perform in the second half comparatively to most of the year, like we've been talking about. And, yeah, to, to go off your point, Eric, it was, you know, it, it does give you some – look into the potential future if, if all these guys stick around if Oregon brings back their offensive line which they should be bringing back most of um, they've already had Sala and Stephen Jones and Alex Forsyth all say that they're coming back um, but we all knew going into this game that their defense was not going to be able to keep up with anything that Oklahoma was going to do and it did for a drive it did the first drive of the game you're kind of like oh this could get this could get interesting because Oregon's defensive line like actually caused penetration they actually like made things difficult for oklahoma to get going and then oklahoma remembered that they're pretty good themselves and you know i mean oregon was starting two offensive players on their defensive line in jackson powers johnson and dj johnson 
And that's just where Oregon was at. And when that is where your team is at and you're going against somebody like Oklahoma, that's just not a recipe for success. And like Matt opened this with, um, the outcome was not surprising to me. Um, again, just thrilled, I guess, kind of happy to see that they, they played as hard as they did. Um, I mean, you had Chris Hudson and Seven McGee who had like two, for me, memorable plays where Chris Hudson was pushed out of bounds with gave it his all to come back in and try to make a dive and catch and was eventually, you know, that was illegal, but happens. And then Anthony Brown was just throwing the ball away at one point during the first half and Seven McGee comes out of nowhere, dives out of bounds and try to make, makes the catch. And he had no chance of actually getting in bounds or anything like that, but he was putting his effort out there putting his body on the line to try to make a play for the Ducks. And those were the types of plays that you were looking to see, and that's what you saw. Eric, you put it perfectly. That They had one bad quarter. It was the, it was the second quarter when going yeah. in it was 6-3, to three, and then Oklahoma rattled off 24 points in that second quarter. And ultimately, in going into the third quarter as well, they had five straight drives with touchdowns, and the sixth one was snapped by a field goal attempt. Um, that that chewed up seven minutes of, t- of, of time in that one late in the third quarter and, or yeah, late in the third quarter. And look, you don't want to make excuses. No one, no one at Oregon said that, that before the game. No one at Oregon said that after the game, Oregon gave up 560 yards of total offense. Oklahoma ran for 318. They had 242 on the ground. They can, they converted eight of their 14 third or fourth down situations they had 11 and a half yards per carry, and yet it, it probably should have been a lot worse than than what it was. And so I think if you're Oregon, you come out of this game, and it, it's a tough one to swallow because this was a team four games ago that was number three in the college football playoff when the playoffs were there, and now you finish with four losses on the season. You're 10-4. and four, You're probably going to drop – you're for sure probably going to drop out of the top 25. But like you said, guys, there's still a ton to build off of. And I think that's the positive. That, and that's probably the way you look at this game is the receivers are good. You, you know Cardwell is good. If Travis Dye comes back, you're loaded at running back. Your offensive line is back. Defensively, some guys have shown up. And, and now we just wait. We don't know the decisions of three guys, TJ Bass, Travis Dye, and Verone McKinley the third. McKinley was again asked today or post-game tonight. Um, what his decision was, and he said he's going to decide here in a couple days, maybe a couple weeks. He said he is enrolled at Oregon, um, but for for classes that start in January. But he did that a long time ago, um, so he, he tried to play it both ways. That hey, yeah, I am enrolled, but I did that a long time ago. So now it's a waiting game. I think you you, you wait to see what this team is like, and and, and for twenty twenty two, and I think you can look back and find some positives in twenty twenty one. And one of which I think is Anthony Brown going out in his last game of his, of his Oregon career. And yeah, he didn't play perfect, but he had statistically one of his best games of the year. And we, we saw the glimpse of the freshman receivers. One other, which one other player we haven't talked a lot about who has a decision is also CJ Verdell. I'm, I'm yeah. curious to see what he'll do, um, but that's just an aside. You know, Anthony, much like the team, I think had one and a half really bad quarters and then, I thought had a really strong second half and, and and I'm happy for him that he could finish his career like that. Cause I was sitting there midway through the second quarter after a couple of really bad throws that were low or that he just missed receivers and kind of going like, this kind of sucks for everybody involved that 
that this is how this is going to go down is Oregon's going to completely turn in a stinker and Brown's going to be crappy mm-hmm. again. And the entire fan base is going to hate him as they already have all season. And I mean, that part stinks and no one on this podcast has said Anthony Brown is a great quarterback, but for me, it was enjoyable to watch him in the second half, have some success and to con- connect on some deep shots and shoot. You think about a couple of opportunities in the first half where, I'm not trying to revise this game and say Oregon should have won because no one can really do that with a straight face. But if he hits Troy Frank, I, mean, I think a turning point in the first half was the sequence where he has Troy Franklin for what would have been about a 50-yard touchdown. He misses. Troy doesn't really put a great effort, by the way, going for it. I don't want to totally blame him on that because the ball wasn't right on his hand. Weird. But it looked like he kind of could have just kind of turned a little to his left and maybe extended, at least given himself a chance to get to it. Um, they don't score there. And then Oklahoma, like three plays later, has a 55-yard touchdown pass from Caleb Williams to Marvin Mims. And I thought that was really a turning point early in that game. Um, you think about if an early first quarter drive where self-inflicted wounds, again, a false start, first and goal at the four-yard line, two plays later, a sack, and suddenly it's a field goal rather than what looked like a, a surefire touchdown. Some of these sequences that just all season – have kind of bit this team where they're just so close to making the big play or so close to finishing drives. And you saw that in the first half. And so for me, it was good in the second half to see them really play inspired football, but also to execute offensively at a level that we haven't regularly seen them do. And against an Oklahoma defense that I know is down a lot of players, but still has so much talent on it that this isn't like you did this against, you know, um, Colorado in the middle of the season or against an Arizona team early on in the season. that These are just, you know, not, not the same level of talent. Oklahoma's got four- and five-star recruits all over the place. They've got NFL guys. I know a lot of the, the top NFL players that were ready for this year opted out. But still, I, I'm impressed with what the offense did. And for me, I know we're not Anthony Brown apologists. I don't want to say I'm a huge fan of the way he's played all season because that would be disingenuous. But I was happy for him to go out on a, at least a semi-positive note in the second half with with showing some at least positive signs. And again, I know I'm not trying to say he had an incredible game because the first half can't be forgotten, but he did have a strong second half. And, I, and for him and all he's been through this year, um, tip of the cap. It just felt like in the second half, Oregon's offense just kind of came out and said, screw it. We're just yeah. going to fly. Whatever. It's like it's like if they went on and just started to play like pickup basketball. Like <laughs> they didn't go through – all their progressions and things like that, and but it but it worked. They had a really phenomenal second half, and basically to all the points that Eric was just talking about, like Anthony Brown performed really well in the second half. Um, first half, there were a lot of just typical like kind of bad throws, and that's why it kind of gave me um, Utah flashbacks, where it's like, well, this is just this is just how it's going to be, because they're going to come out in the second half and they're not going to make adjustments, and then then it's going to be Anthony Brown forced to throw on third down and longs, and that's just not a strong suit. And in the second half, they just came out gunning. Didn't matter if it was first or second down. They were going to take shots down the field or at least, you know, 10, 15 yards over the middle or run Travis die until, you know, he gets tired and then let Anthony Brown do something. Um, yeah, it was it was a good way for, for Anthony Brown to go out in his Oregon career. Um, definitely has had one of the most up-and-down seasons I can remember in terms of any sport. It's very strange, um, def- like the hero and the villain and, and back-to-back weeks type of deal. Um, if this was Travis Dye's last game as a duck, had a good game himself. Um, I, I think uh, his his numbers are pretty good. I think it was 18 for 153 and a touchdown. Um, 
and obviously in the second half they they had to go score points so they couldn't really run him and but if they could uh he would have racked up well over 200 yards again and you know but he's just a warrior he's somebody who just like the whole team fought the entire time and went for every extra yard and went for every extra down um yeah it's just it was a it was an inspiring performance for Oregon but they just we all knew going into it like like I have already said that this was this was a long shot it was not a very optimistic viewpoint and it wasn't for any it wasn't for Oregon's fault of their own they're a very talented football program but with the with people who have opted out people who are just injured transfer portal all of that like at one point the 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 dam was bound to break and I think it, it hit started to crack against all, all the Utah games. And this was just, everything was flowing. And with, with everybody out, that was it. One, one small note about Anthony Brown. He was asked now that the season is over, if he could disclose all the injuries he played through, he cited a bunch. And before that, uh, he gave a pretty good quote of just man shit a lot. And then he apologized for his language. Um, and he then later said he, he was very borderline throughout the year playing through injuries that maybe should have had him out to heal. Um, but he wanted to give it his all for the team because they were there for him as well. Um, other notes, Travis Dye became the fifth running back with 3000 or more rushing guards in his career. Um, that that's notable. And then I think all three players, Jordan Happel, Anthony Brown, Brown McKinley, all three of them, were very complimentary post game of BMAC and everyone else on the staff for staying with the team, coaching them through the bowl game when a lot of these guys have jobs somewhere else. And they all said they easily could have left and left this program in the dust, basically. And they all chose not to do it except for Mario Cristobal. Yeah, I think that part's really commendable. And I think it's kind of unique. Um, I know it kind of has rubbed some folks the wrong way that people who are clearly not going to be here next year have been in charge of the program. You've seen a lot of criticism of, of Brian McClendon for he's going to go to Miami or that's the expectation. Shoot, there was a staff directory page on the University of Miami website with a with the university email attached to it that Matt discovered. I don't know, what was that, about 10 days ago, all this runs together. Yeah. Um, so we kind of had known for a while where he's headed. Um, but you're right. He stuck with it, and the team the team didn't give up. And I think if if, if we'd seen a second half similar to the first half, and they just got boat raced, and the final score was like 48 to 10 or something, or similar, you know, kind of another Utah result, I think we could have all sat here and kind of been like, boy, this it kind of sucks that Brian McClendon was leading the show because he's gone, blah 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 blah. The team didn't fight for him, but they yeah. showed they showed with their effort, not just the words that Matt is discussing here. They showed with their effort that they cared and that they wanted to win. And they don't you don't do that if a staff hasn't um, I guess created the right inspiration for you to show up like that. And I just think you're right. I, I think it's I'm happy that they were they shouted those guys out. And this was a curtain call, obviously not the one that the, you know, this isn't a picture perfect one. This isn't the one they would have scripted. They would love to have won this game forty seven to thirty five or um, you know, and obviously that didn't play out that way. But at the same time, like I, I come away thinking like it is a unique circumstance. I know Oregon fans have been, again, very critical of some of these guys that are leaving, and they're not going to be fan favorites, but they stuck it out because they cared, and they care for these players, and that speaks to the character of a lot of these guys. And 
you're right. They could have gone. They could. A lot of these guys could be in Miami or in Nevada or in Lubbock, Texas, right now, and instead they were in San Antonio. Yeah, I mean it's commendable for both teams too. Um, Coach Bob Stoops talked about that for Oklahoma staff because they have a lot of guys who are going to a lot of different programs too, and clearly the motivational package and speeches work for both teams. Um, it's certainly commendable for Oregon's assistant coaches to you know to stay with the program and, and keep that going. Um, Joe Moorhead and Tim DeRuiter, both their coordinators, stayed with it. Um, we still don't. I mean. We're not 100% sure that McLennan's going, but it sounds like it. Um, for him to stick around and and take over head coaching duties and, and really, you know, help the team go through all these injuries and all these um, – all, all everybody leaving and stuff like that and uh, just the whole month of December for the team is uh, is impressive. And for them to come out again to, to show their work ethic and their drive in another game is, is impressive. Couple quick notes before we wrap this up. Um, Noah Sewell, Scoop, and Dante Manning, Damon David is Scoop, if you're unaware. All three of them left with injuries during the game. Brian McClendon was asked about them. He said none of them were significant to the point where that, that would prevent them from having good off seasons of getting ready for the 2022 football season. He did say Noah Sewell was out with concussion symptoms, being evaluated for a concussion. Excuse me, that gives you insight into um, what his injury was. He did not play in that second half, had a towel around his head, and it was very evident from where I was. I never put it out there because I didn't want to speculate on concussions or not. You just don't – injuries, you just never speculate on it. But it was very evident that he was dealing with something head-wise because he was trying to cover his vision from from all the lights of the stadium, and that's typically associated with, with concussions. Um, we should also note that – this team is going to head home and they'll have a couple days off from a break. And now we wait for decisions um, and we wait for this coaching staff to, to get finalized for the Dan Lanning era. Um, Lanning's arrival will depend upon what Georgia does. Um, they play on the 31st in the college football playoffs. We know staff members. Who, and, and now this program is basically going into its new era of, of new leadership. And there's, I, I think real quick, I think there's a lot of optimism that this team could could reload pretty quickly here. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think the future feels bright. I mean, let's be honest, going into this game, I think we all felt better about the defense and the offense long term because of everything that's back and because of who the head coach is going to be at Oregon. He's a defensive minded coach in Dan Lanning. And for me, I felt pretty good coming away like, hey, the offense has got some guys. They can do some things. And if they're used properly – they can go out there and score some points. So, yeah, you certainly feel like this the future is bright. And I, I also just want to quickly – I don't want to take up too much time because you guys are dealing with much later. It's like 2 o'clock for Jared and like 1 o'clock for Matt. But I I, I just wanted to uh, – just to briefly say, like, what a weird season we just covered for Oregon football. Um, I mean, just think of the highs and lows of this season, of starting with that win in Columbus. We were all there. How that shifted the narrative of the season, how exciting it was to be – at the shoe for that game and to see Oregon play the way it did. Um, and then think about that weird loss at Stanford, which still I will concede is one of the most bizarre <laughs> football games I've ever covered. And, um, you know, it's just, I mean, straight up, like some of the worst calls to end a game. 
And then Oregon rattles off five straight wins, and you're they're right in the middle of the college football playoff. In fact, if they win out, they're in it, and we're talking about them playing on Friday instead of today. And then the whole thing caves in, and it's probably in the history of Oregon football the biggest – I don't want to say implosion. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but just to, to go from the heights of where you were and what was on the table – to then lose three of your final four games, all kind of in blowout fashion, all games basically over at halftime. Absolutely bizarre. Very, very strange. And we had seen the makings of kind of this kind of a possibility because even when they were winning games in the middle of the season, we're all kind of like, eh, they're winning, but is it impressive? And we're all kind of like trying to stay like, yeah, I guess they're a college football playoff team. Like, they're winning games. We have to talk about them like that. But we all kind of felt like something was off. And then here we are, and something was off, and the season ends – in a bizarre fashion, I have to imagine this is the only 10-4 and four season in program history. And it's a weird one. It's a really weird one that, you know, I'll take the next couple of days to reflect. I know we're going to all write a bunch of review columns, stories over the next week or so. But I don't think I've covered a team quite like this that had yeah. the highs that they had and then the lows that they had all mixed in. And you kind of – even this game, I think, encapsulates that where it's – the first half was so terrible. The second half was so good. And you almost kind of come away not knowing exactly what we should be saying on this podcast. Should we be criticizing the defense for giving up eight straight scoring drives? Or should we be really excited about an offense that finally figured it out, but figured it out too late that it didn't even matter? So I mean, I just like this game was perfect for encapsulating what was a bizarre year to cover. This was an interesting one um, for all of those reasons. And yeah, it was such a strange season to, to be a part of. For, 10 and four. I mean, it's tremendous that they won 10 games this year. You kind of look back on it and you're like, Oh, it could have gone six and six. I think we talked about that earlier. Um, in terms of reloading, uh, this is now the Dan Lanning era. Um, he's an excellent recruiter. He's bringing on a staff of, of individuals who are excellent recruiters as well, or have a great recruiting history. Um, that's enticing. That's something that Oregon fans should look forward to. Um, that's an easy way to reload. Uh, you look at where the program was before uh, Willie Taggart, Mario Cristobal got here. Um, you look at the depth that this team has had. You look at how they were able to stack up tonight with their freshmen and their redshirt freshmen or COVID freshmen, whatever I should say. Um, and that's all because Oregon has been reloading the last few years with these recruiting classes. And Dan Lenning is bringing in humans and, and individuals who can also do this. And so that's something that's enticing and something to look forward to and a way that this program could reload. Um, overall in the season, it's been a blast. Um, it's been very interesting, very up and down. Uh, it's been a pleasure to cover it with you guys in general. Um, you know, 10 and four, it's not bad. Could be worse. Could be a lot worse. Could have been, could have been a lot worse. And I think, um, we'll wrap it up here with just the season's over. I think the optimism is high with this program. Uh, there will be pieces that will be very difficult to replace in 2022. And yet there are also a lot of very encouraging younger players either in the program or coming into the program that have you excited for the 2022 football season uh, under Dan Laning. Until we're on this podcast later this week, um, for probably a mailbag, Eric. Uh, we'll probably get to a Monday mailbag at its, it's back. Correct, correct time and date. Uh, that will be our next podcast, most likely. Until then, thank you for listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks, in the new year. Peace.